Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. The scripture reading is taken from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. I'll be reading from the New King James. And when you were raised with Christ, seek these things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, you lived in in hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You may be seated. Thank you. Thank you. And now open your Bibles, please, to Philippians chapter 1. I want to start in verse 3. Philippians 1, verse 3. It's wonderful to see you here. And aren't you proud of the children? What they're learning and is, uh, what impresses me is that they're not just learning children's things. They're learning adult things. They're learning scripture and where things are found. Uh, I, I really believe that the repetition of kids saying will stick with them into adulthood. Wouldn't it be something? And why shouldn't we think that? These kids are almost adults. Don't let that go to your head. They're almost adults, and they know these things. They remember. Reckon these will remember until they get into their 20s and 30s and 40s. And wouldn't it be something if, if wherever they land, wherever they end up in this world, that they, they can teach children the Bible? Wouldn't that be something? That's my dream. Well, I, I checked the weather forecast out of curiosity for in the morning. It's 32 degrees at 7 o'clock. That's what they're figuring, 32 degrees, freezing at 7 when Cindy and I were dating, uh, she would ride out with me from Freed Hardeman to preach on the Lord's Day to a little congregation in the country called Laconia. And I, I honestly don't know if it still exists out there. We had about 25 members, lovely people, patient people. And, and for a period, there was a, a potbelly stove, and that's how that thing was heated. And, and so there was a brother who would get there early every worship time, and he would build that fire and get it warmed up. And, and mind you now, it, I, I'm not talking about, I didn't live, I didn't live a century ago. I'm, just not, I'm not talking about that. And so this was still, this was still obsolete and, and sort of rare, but it was existing at that time. And, and I just think about those Sunday evenings when they would assemble like we are tonight. And uh, I don't think they took their coats off in the winter. December coming on like it is now, and it'd get mighty cold in West Tennessee, and they would huddle around in their coats around that pot belly stove, and they'd worship God and study the Bible, and how blessed you and I are, how blessed we are. Philippians chapter 1 starts this way in verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, which is remarkable because, because you think about what Paul faced in Philippi, you remember the Philippian jailer, you remember the stripes on his back, you remember 
the pain that accompanied his time there in Philippi, but he's not thinking about that. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer. He repeated something in his prayer every time in every prayer. He says, I, I mention you of mine, making request for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until even now, being confident of this very thing. Now, here, here's where I want to launch. And what we're going to do is take this, this bottom of verse 6, and we're going to jump over then into Colossians, and that's where we'll spend the rest of our time tonight. Being confident of this very thing, that he who, who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of the Lord Jesus. I, I love that. That doesn't mean that he's going to force you into anything or that you don't have any choice, but it does mean that God is working in you. God is building you up. If you're in Christ and you're, you're striving to be a faithful Christian, he's doing that. And right now he's doing it with the preaching of the gospel. And when you and I open the word of God, he's working on us. Every sermon you hear, every class you hear, every time you sit down in the morning early and you open the Bible to study, he's working on you. How does God work on us? He works on, it, on you through Christian influence. Look around you. This is your family. These are your brothers and sisters. And isn't it interesting that, that there are some people around whom it's really easy to be good. You get around people like these. People get around you. And what happens is we get stronger. That's why it's so terribly important that you be faithful to all the assemblies. We're about to start a new year. I want, I want you to turn over a new leaf. I know I'm talking to Sunday night crowd, but Make sure that you're at every worship assembly. Don't skip the assemblies. Because aside from the fact that we need to put God first and seek first the kingdom, we need one another. We need this constant influx of influence from the people of God. The Bible says, he who has begun a good work in you. Is he working in you? Is he working in you right now? Well, I'd say so. All right, now go over to Colossians. I'm going to tie that together with Colossians chapter 1 and verse 12. This is New King James, and it says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, you know what the inheritance of the saints in light is. It's heaven. Over in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, and he calls it says that we have an inheritance coming to us, incorruptible, undefiled, that face not away, reserved in heaven for you. That heaven... I mean, that's our inheritance. You're part of a family, the family of God, and you have an inheritance coming to you when you get finished living here. But the neat part about this is that he's made you to be a partaker. He's made you to be, again, New King James says, qualified to be a partaker of the inheritance. What does he do to make you fit for heaven? What has to happen before you are fit for heaven? Now, the, the, the old King James used to say, and I like this better, really. It says, he made us meet, M-E-E-T, for the inheritance of the saints in light. He made us meet for that. Now, that's really old English, and we don't use that term anymore. It was the same one that was used in Genesis about Eve and how she treated Adam. She was a help meet for him. And we said help mate. That never was a word. We just made that up. But what, what it really was was help, a helper Perfectly suited for, or meet, that's what meet means, perfectly suited for, Adam. Well, bring it over here to Colossians 3 and verse 12. He's, he's made us meet 
to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He's made us, just to put it in plain talk, walking down the street talk, he makes us fit for heaven. How does he do that? Well, one, of course, is that he forgives us of our sins, Acts 2 and verse 38, and he, and he gives us a plan by which we can live cleansed from our sins, 1 John 1 and verse 7. The second thing is something I talked about in Q&A last week, and if you weren't here, it's, it's in, a, in a recording, and you could pick it up if you like and, and think about these things. But in 1 Corinthians 15, it says that, that one day he's going to change our bodies so that we can have heavenly bodies. This corruptible body will put on incorruption. I'm not going to be subject to decay. I'm not going to be dying. He's going to be incorruptible, and this mortal body is going to put on immortality. So he makes us, he's going to change us to make us fit for heaven in those ways. But here's the third one, and it's the one that I'm going to tag on for the rest of the evening. And that is that he changes our characters. What do you do in your life right now just because you're a Christian? What kinds of things, of practical things, what kinds of things are you going to be doing tomorrow or on Tuesday or Wednesday or the rest of the week? What kinds of things do you do in your life simply because you're a Christian? Not because of anything else, just because you're a Christian. What comes to mind? And, and by the way, when you're making your list, coming to worship does not count. I want you to think about beyond that. What do you do because you're a Christian? What are you because you're a Christian? How has it affected you and what kind of work has he done in you already? Now, I'm going to give you eight things, eight verses from Colossians. We're going to just kind of walk through and touch some pearls, pull some pearls out of Colossians for these things. Here's the first one. Let's see if we can get the slide going. There you go. I bear the fruit of the Spirit. This is verse 6 of chapter 1 of Colossians, which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God and truth. Now, you understand the fruit of the Spirit throughout this next slide is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Now, now look at that list and don't, be, don't minimize that. You've read that verse probably all your life. And look at that list again and just appreciate the fact that if all people practiced that, there wouldn't be any more war, right? War would go away. My friend Ray and I were talking, have been talking lately about this awful conflict in the Middle East and the intricacies of what's going on. And it's very, very complicated and you have to figure things out. It's hard to figure out. And when you finish, you're not sure about a great deal of it. But I, but I can tell you this, it's terrible. It's, it's terrible. It's unspeakably bad. And where will it end and in all probability, it's going to be like a candle with a flame that burns, and it's just got to burn to the bottom before it goes out. I don't know, but uh, we must pray for peace. I'm telling you, if people practice the fruit of the Spirit, if they had this inside of them, that'd go away. What about child abuse? I'm telling you, you, you wouldn't have any child abuse if people practiced this, and people wouldn't break up their marriages and divorce if you had this. Let me ask you a question. How are you doing about the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit means that if I walk in Christ, these things, see, because you're in the assembly and you're listening to preaching and Bible classes and you're studying your Bibles and you're praying. And what happens is God's working inside of you and you develop the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. The same passage talks about the works of the flesh. That's not what this is. It's in the, the, the works of the Spirit. This is the fruit of the Spirit. And as the Spirit dwells in you through the Scriptures, 
this is what you develop. You say, he's done a great work in me and he's working in me now. Great. What does it mean? It means, chapter 1, verse 6, I'm walking in the fruit of the Spirit. I bear the fruit of the Spirit. Here's the second one. Go to chapter 1 now, verse 23. I'm a persistent Christian. And indeed, you could, I love this verse. Indeed, you continue grounded. If indeed, you continue grounded and steadfast in the faith. I love that little article, the, you know, the faith. It's the same as over in, over in Jude, verse 3, contend earnestly for the faith. It's the practice of true religion. That's what that is. There's a lot of false religion out here. He's talking about the truth, the, the faith, not a faith, the faith. If you continue grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, you ever know anybody that's moved away from the hope of the gospel? Yeah, you do. Which you have heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. It's like this. You and I have to be glued down in the faith. We've got to be steadfast, and we've got to be grounded. Grounded, what would be the the opposite of grounded? I suppose it would be flippant or maybe undependable. It would, be, it would be unanchored. You know what happened after COVID? It's really interesting to me. And I, I, I go and visit other churches, and it's very, very common today. Somebody mentioned who was here today mentioned about their congregation, and the numbers had diminished since COVID. And, and you know, there's no, there's no good response to that. There's no good explanation for that. How come did that happen? The, best, the, the reality is that some people just weren't anchored, and, and they... You know, a few weeks, they didn't come to worship, and then maybe just they just watched on live stream, which is never going to be assembling. It's not assembling, and they didn't. And, and, you know, when we got back to assembling, it was just not their habit anymore. They were not grounded. They weren't grounded, and that's what this is describing. When um, I, I think that you and I ought to promise the Lord. You know, the Hebrews writer says that... He's promised us, I will never leave you nor forsake you so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Would you do something for me tonight? Tonight when you pray, before you go to sleep, when you pray, make a vow to him. I will never leave you. Lord, I promise, I vow that for the rest of my days until my last breath, I vow to you. Incidentally, you've already made this vow. You're just repeating it. When you became a Christian and you confessed Christ, you made this vow. But repeat it to him. I will never leave you, Lord. I promise. I will never forsake you. When Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, I read that a while back. I mean, what happened as he was signing it, that his hand was quivering. He picked up the pen and his hand was quivering. And he just dropped it. And the gentleman, I don't know who, standing beside him, Mr. Preston, are you okay? Mm, He is. And he said, if my name goes into history, it will be for this act. And if my hand trembles when I sign it, there will be some who will say, he hesitated. When I became a Christian, I put my name down, and the Lord wrote it in his book of life. 
This says, if indeed you continue grounded and steadfast in the faith, that needs to be you and me. You and me. What kind of work has he worked in you? How's he working in you? And would that accurately describe it? Now I want to go to chapter 2. Here's number 3. I want to be in verse 6. Colossians 2 and verse 6. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you've been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. I want you to get that last part now. Are you thankful? Are you a thankful person? I'm a thankful person. Now, this is pragmatic. It's not just theological or superficial or whatever. This is pragmatic. This is practical in your life. There is a direct correlation between thankfulness and happiness. Without happiness, you'll just never, never understand. Or without thankfulness, you'll never understand ha- happiness. What happens is that, that we have hard days. And you, you know something about hard days. And you've been in them. And, and it may be that you're going through them right now. And I know some of you are. But see, 1 Thessalonians says, Rejoice, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. How can you do that? How can you do that? It's important that you get this lesson because you won't have happiness. But you and I can have joy even in times that are dark, even in times of life that are so very hard. You and I can have joy. Isn't that true? Isn't that a true statement? How do you do it? You say, I lost the person that means the most to me. I'm not minimizing that grief at all. But I, but I would say this. You ought to spend as much time as you can being grateful for the time you had with her. And those years you had with him. I talked to a widow woman the other day, and she's lonely. <clears throat> How many years did you have him? And she told me. And is the pain so bad <clears throat> for you that you wish you hadn't had him? Oh, no, she said. Oh, no, I'm so thankful. Let me tell you something. A person like that still has the joy. Is it possible to be thankful in all things? You say, I've got a disease from which I'm not going to, re- I'm not going to get any better. I, I won't be relieved of this pain. I never will. Yeah, well, does that mean you don't have anything to be thankful for? How much do you have to be thankful for? You say, I'm, you say, I'm, I'm this age and I'm dying. I know, I, I, don't, I don't want to be in that position either, but can you reflect over your years and say, God, you've been so faithful, so good to me. So good to me. Is there anybody in this room who hasn't been blessed by God? Anybody in this room who would say, I, I, you know what? He just hadn't been good to me. <laughs> I'm sorry. He just doesn't bless me. I don't think anybody would. Okay, well, then hold on to that because you listen to this old preacher now. Thankfulness is directly connected to happiness. Happiness is ingratitude. How are you doing on that? Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it, the church, with thanksgiving. Now let's do number four. I want to drop down now to chapter three and verse eight. This is about temper. Wow, this is full of temper. How are you doing on that? But now you also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. It's like you turned on the faucet and the sewer pours out. You got wrath and malice and filthy language and blasphemy. You know anybody that talks like this? Now, you could talk like this. 
It's not that you don't know the words. It's not that you don't know how to do it. It's that you won't do it. You won't do it. Why is that? Because you've been, you've been affected by the Scriptures. Because God has grown you. He's doing a work in you. He's growing you up. And you're, there may be times when you're angry. And there may have been, been times when these kinds of words may flash into your mind. But you're not going to pull them out of your mouth. They won't escape from your mouth. Because, because you're a Christian. Temper is an interesting word. And I've talked about it before. It's, you go to, to study the etymology of the word temper. And, and you'll find different descriptions but, but the primary one always seems to have to do with metal. And I've done some work with metal. And you can take a torch and you can take metal and you can, you can make... Andrew knows a great deal more about metal than I do. But you can take a piece of metal with a torch and you can make it cherry red hot to where it just glows with heat. And if you start at the tip of something, you know, you can make it hot and it'll, that heat, that, that cherry color will climb right up that, that piece of metal. And, and once it gets cherry red, then you can quench it. And the best thing to use is oil, not water. Oil, water will work, but it's better to use mineral oil. And you put it down in that oil rapidly, and you'll hear the sizzle of that metal because it's cooling very quickly. And the result in the metallic makeup is that you will have tempered that metal. It becomes very hard. Now, if you want a tool, if you're using or creating a tool, and it needs to be sharp, it needs to be tempered. I, 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 at PTP last year, I went to, to the knife store. They say it's the biggest knife store in the world. And Andy and I went together. And, and I decided that I wanted a knife like some of my friends have. They carry, and they really brag a lot about their knives. And there's one that I didn't have, and I thought it was pretty interesting. And I went and I described it to this man, this, this clerk, a very nice fellow. And I said, look, I want this kind of knife, but I don't know anything about them. What I really want, though, is a blade that will hold an edge. I want to, I, you know, I don't want to spend the farm. I don't want to spend, because you can spend a tremendous amount of money. Didn't want to do that. I, I want to, I want to spend about this much, I said. And what has, for that kind of money, what has the best steel? Hardest steel, hold an edge. And he, he just named it, he just named it like that. And I went and bought it and took it out of the store with me. And uh, he was right about that. That's tempered. And because it's got a sharp edge, I use it all the time, opening boxes or whatever it is, you know, cutting string. Or I, use, I just use it all the time. It's useful to me because it holds the edge. It's useful to me because it's tempered. Now, you could take that knife, I'm telling you, you could take it, and you could put it under a torch, and you could heat it up till it's cher- the blade is cherry red, and then you could just let it cool on its own. Don't quench it. Just let it cool, and it will never hold an edge like that. It never will. It's soft and it's going to stay soft. That's just, that's just, so I, I, I believe that the word temper, the way you re, we use the etymology must be that I can hold my usefulness. I've lived long enough that I don't use that kind of language. I've used, I lived long enough in Christ that I don't live the way that some people live. And I hold that temper. I hold that edge. The steel is hard enough that I hold to my beliefs and my convictions and my values to lose your temper means, you got it. Okay, you got it. Now, number five. Here's, I want to take this from Colossians 3 and verse 9. Here's the fourth, uh, the fifth one. I don't lie. We don't lie. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old man with his deeds, and you've put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge. I don't, do not lie. That's a very direct command. Don't, don't do that. 
And he's begun a work in us. And how are we doing on that? And chapter 3 says, in the early part of the chapter, he says, now I want you to set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. Because you're dead and your life is hid with God in Christ Jesus. Lying is a terrible thing. Words are the, the stuff that relationships are made of. And what happens in a lie is that a relationship is always going to be damaged. Trust is the tap root of our relationship. And your friendships, you've got to be able to trust one another. And certainly in your marriage, don't you be thinking, don't you ever be thinking that you'll see the backside of a good marriage if you don't tell the truth. You can't let lying make its way into your marriage. Lying is so very bad. Aren't we mature enough to get that? You've got to be a person who hates, hates, hates lying. You've got to despise it, the blackness of it, the wrongness of it. And here's how you do it. Here's how you figure out how to hate it is when you think about a lie, don't think about a lie that you tell and you get away with it and, hey, that worked out pretty good. You've got to think about a lie and somebody lies to you. Somebody that's your friend, somebody you feel close to. What if your mom or dad lied to you? Something important, something, something that matters to you, and they just lied. What if a friend lies? What if you're a, you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend and they just lie to you? Everything about your relationship is in, in question at that point. Everything revolves, changes. Everything does. When you have your children, what you have to do is to make sure that, that telling the truth is held at high value. So, while, I don't know, minor infractions, uh, if a child belches at the table, you correct that. You must say, excuse me, and teach them manners. And if, if they weren't supposed to wear those shoes when it's raining outside, but they forget and they get out there and they get them muddy, yeah, I understand, you've got to correct that. They should have remembered Lying is a whole different planet from that. Lying is a whole, because you know what? If a, if a kid gets, gets to be in his early teens and he gets good at lying, he may never get rid of it. It, it becomes, it's, it's a habitual kind of sin that can grab hold, and that's why it has to be taken very seriously. Now here's number six. I want you to drop down with me to verse 15. I'm in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15. And let the peace of God... I love this one. Are you setting your affections on things above? Are you? Are you? Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body. And again, be and be thankful. I want you to hold that because I want to go back up to verse 12. There you go. Let's start in verse 12, then I'll catch you back in 15 in a second. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, that's where we learn how to forgive, so you do also. And above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Chapter 4 and verse 6 says, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Are you like this? How's, how's this? I mean, it's working on your character. He's making you fit for heaven. How's it working on your character? So does this describe you? And to what degree does it describe you? 
tender mercies. Is this your personality? Is this how people look at you? Kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. I can't do that. I can't do that. I wasn't, I wasn't raised like that. You know, I, I didn't grow up a home like that, and I'm just not like that. I don't, say, I don't think I'm ever going to be like me. Well, hold on a minute. Did you ever see a big old brawny lumberjack of a man's got hands that are huge, and he's used to hard work? He doesn't take nothing off of nobody. And he's got a daughter, and one day she brings him his baby grandchild and puts that baby in his arms. And those old hands and that big old heart just goes to mush. I'm not a lumberjack, but I tell you what, I know something about that. I know about that, and so do you, those of you with white hair. You know it. I'm just saying that that old, that old coarse, hard heart can be different. And Christ will do that for you if you follow him. Now to, now to, to, to the next one. Let's do number six now. Let's catch that back up. But the peace of God will in your hearts, to which also you're called in one body, and be thankful. The peace of God, Philippians 4 and verse 7, the peace of God which passes understanding shall keep your hearts and minds. I would say to a Christian that this has got to be a decision that you make. I know that that seems, I don't know, I don't want to minimize it. It's just that you've got to, you've got to meditate on this. It's a very right thing in our conversations with each other when we talk about difficult things in our lives. You, you ought to say this out loud to your brother or sister or to yourself when you're going through the hard times because you've got you to access the source of peace. And how you do that is you meditate on the things of God. How you do that in conversation is by saying, you know, this is very hard, but aren't we thankful that God is on his throne. Aren't we thankful that he's all-powerful and there's nothing that he cannot do? And aren't we going to be faithful to him no matter what? I love, I love uh, Psalm 46 where the Bible says in verse 10, be still and know that I am God. How are you doing on that? How, how are we doing about that? Can we improve on that? Here's number seven. We're going we're gonna to just do, we're going to do eight. I know that piece. No, we just did number eight. I'm getting messed up on my numbers. Here's the last one. I know that. Here's the last one. I want to start in verse 18. Yeah, there you are. I, I truly love my family. A lot of confusion in the world right now about the definition of a family. And it's gotten so loose that it means very little to the world, but it means a lot to you. And so there's no ambiguity here. And what's about to be read is so cross-culture. I mean, people, are, people would be very offended by this, but people who are in Christ are not. We understand that this is right. People who have, have their heads screwed on right <clears throat> understand family, what family means. So here we go. Wives, verse 18, submit yourselves to your own husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. The, the, the problem with, with that, and, and you have Ephesians 5 also, that's so very similar, wives be in submission to your own husbands and everything. Or First Peter chapter 3 and verse uh, uh, there's 1 through 7, is that it's, that it's not ambiguous. It is just so plain. Until the trumpet blows, people can fuss about that if they want to, but it's always going to read the same. And the one who created family in the very beginning, the one who originated the idea of a family, is the one who organized it according to that creation. 
He made us in such a way to be different. Aren't we thankful for that? Aren't we thankful that we're different? I, I would make a terrible woman. I would. I, I've never wanted to be a woman. I like to be a man. And God designed me. God made me to be a man. And he made some of you to be women. And I, there's great profundity in all of that. Anyway, here's what he said for wives. I want you to submit to your own husbands. Every one of these in this list of four verses, <clears throat> every one of these categories involves surrender. It involves submission to different ones. In this case, a wife, a wife is to be submissive to her husband because that's fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter against them. Okay, now hold on a minute. What? Why did he say this to husbands, don't be bitter against your wives? And he didn't say it in the reverse. Wouldn't that be applicable both ways? I think it would be. I don't want my wife be bitter against me, right? I don't know the answer to that. I don't know why it's not reciprocal. or I mean, in theory it is, but why he didn't say it that way here, I, I don't know. Uh, it may be that, that men, men tend to think in black and white, like the 1960s and 50s, you know, on television, black and white, everything black and white. And and women always think in technicolor and the nuances and the emotional things. And it's, uh, I I can't even, I can just barely describe it, much less grasp it. I, I, but, but they do. And aren't you thankful, gentlemen, aren't you thankful women are the way they are? Don't we need them? Don't we need them? And and it may be that, that, that we need to be warned about this, to, to recognize that women are more emotional than we, that they are different from the way we are, and we could just be bitter against them because of that. Couldn't you be more like a man? A fellow who says that doesn't really mean it. I'm telling you, he really doesn't mean it. Although I have said it to Cindy a time or two, you know, when we didn't see things eye to eye, to say, couldn't you just think like a man for a second so we could have this discussion? And that never has gone very well. It just never goes very well. I don't know why. And maybe that's the point. Um, maybe it's that a man <clears throat> goes out to work and he comes back in the evening and he has all of these strifes, these struggles, pressures rolling over in his mind. And maybe he needs this for those occasions because it's mighty easy to bring, bring those kinds of things home with him. Husbands, Love your wives. Agape your wives. Do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. For the people who can't read, the children who are too young to read, this is something parents have to teach them. For those who are getting closer and closer to being grown, this is just right at your head, right at your heart. Obey your parents in all things. Isn't that amazing? In all things, this is what pleases God. And fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Now, that's interesting to me. Always is because of Ephesians 4, where it says that, Fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That passage says one thing, don't, don't provoke them to this, to wrath. This one says, don't provoke them to discouragement. And this, this is both from the, the pen of the Apostle Paul, both by inspiration, but there's a little bit of difference in there. And, and uh, I, I asked Caleb, my son, one time, why do you think those are different? And I thought his answer was very wise. He said, he said, well, I don't know. I don't know why. 
One would say wrath and one would say discouragement. But if I had to choose between the two, I'd pick wrath. Okay, I don't understand. Why would you pick wrath? And he said, because if, if he's discouraged, it may be that he's going into apathy. And if it's wrath, the indication is he probably still cares. I don't know. But I don't want to raise my kids in a way that they have discouragement or wrath. So I'm not going to... I'm going to do everything I can not to provoke them to either one of these. I'm going to love them and try to be the example before them that they need from a man, an important man in their lives. So there you have it. That's the sermon for tonight. You know, the Bible says in this passage in Colossians 3 to set your affections on things above. How are you doing on that? How are we doing? And that God has begun a great work in us. That's really exciting to me. And, uh, and where are we in Christ? And, and we must focus on this, that, that we're going to keep growing because he's, he's making us fit for heaven. And part of that is to, is to work on our character, work on our characters. And all of these eight things are characteristic of that. And I'm so glad that you've come. And I hope, I hope you're going to have a great week as, uh, as we have the beginning of winter and we do all that's to keep warm, and we get ready for Christmas, and we got a lot of happy things coming up. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.